Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. It is not an overstatement to say that gratitude should be the overarching dynamic of the Christian life. That the Christian's basic default setting as a Christian should be thankfulness, gratitude, joy in God and, and all He's done for you. Um, this is the clear sense of, of the, the teaching of Scripture in, in so many places. You think of the Ten Commandments. Um, and it frames the Christian's obedience all in response as a grateful response to the deliverance of God that he's worked. It starts out with that, that famous prelude. God has brought you out of Egypt. He saved you from slavery. Out of gratitude now, here's how you're supposed to live. We, we see it in the New Testament as well. The book of Romans, the whole structure of the book of Romans is set up the same way. Eleven chapters on, on the glorious grace of God to His people. All that God has done in the Gospel for His people. And then chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, in light of God's mercies, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Grace and then gratitude. This, we see the same thing in the book of Ephesians. Three chapters on all that is ours in Christ. And then chapter 4 starts... Now here's how you live in gratitude for all these things. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So that, that's the dynamic of the Christian life. Most basic. God gives grace. We respond in gratitude. So the Bible's teaching is that our lives should be saturated with thankfulness. It should be seeping out of us. We should be, we should be like a spring. Our hearts should be like a spring that's bubbling over with gratitude. Joy in God. Thankfulness for His mercies. The heart that is doing that is the heart that has grasped the Gospel. But, if we're honest, our hearts are often not bubbling over with gratitude, right? Uh, often, they're bubbling over with some other things. Uh, our hearts, our homes, our relationships are, are, are bubbling over with other things. Maybe a feeling that you got short-changed. Uh, we, we bubble over with discontent, a feeling that God owes you more than He's given you. That you deserve something better, something more. That, that, that uh, a better bank account, better weather, better health, better looks, better politicians, better, uh, be, better, uh, better children, better parents, better siblings, better church. And, and, and so our hearts are, are like so often springs of discontent and unthankfulness and ingratitude. It's the attitude of, uh, of the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son where he says to his father, all my life I've slaved for you and you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And the father says, you, you've missed the whole point. All I have is yours. You didn't have to slave away for anything. Right, but, but, but so often we fall into this, this trap of acting like we need to slave away 
and that we are owed much more than we've been given. So how do we change that? How do we get more of a heart of gratitude? Psalm 100 gives us at least one of God's answers to that question. It's titled A Psalm of Thanksgiving. Uh, The structure is pretty straightforward. It gives us in verses 1 and 2 a command to give thanks. Verse 3 gives us some reasons for thanks. Verse 4 gives a command to give thanks again. And then verse 5 gives us uh, more reasons for thanks. So it kind of alternates between those two. Command to give thanks and then reasons why we, we should give thanks. Uh, just for, for clarity's sake, what I'm going to do is, is lump those two different things together. So we're going to look first at the command to give thanks. How are we to give thanks? And then we'll look at the reason why we should give thanks. So first of all, how? How should we give thanks? What, what kind of thanksgiving does God expect from us? Psalm 100 commands us to give thanks to the Lord in answer to that question with, with joyful worship to our Lord. Ver, verse 1 opens uh, with, with a command to shout to the Lord. This, this, uh, this loud, joyful shout to the Lord. It's the shout of homage to a king. Uh, it's that moment when, when the people of Israel would see their king in his glory, see him in that, that march, that parade, and they'd shout, there's our king, that burst of pride in them as they see him. It might sound something like a football stadium erupting when your team gets a touchdown. Uh, that, that, that shout, this eruption of worship and praise and delight in God. This command, verse 1 says, goes out to the whole earth. The whole earth should be shouting with joy to God the King. Then verse 2 goes on to flesh out this idea of joyful thanks to God. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Be glad in Him. Delight in Him. Rejoice in Him as you serve Him. This idea of service is connected with worship. We're to serve God in every area of life, but the, the, especially this word is associated with worship in the, in the temple in the Old Testament. Um, that's why we call our, our worship service, a worship service. We're here to serve the Lord and bring, uh, bring offerings of praise to Him. And we're to, we're to come to the worship of the Lord with glad hearts, full of, full of joy in Him. Verse 2 goes on and then commands singing. So the picture here is definitely, definitely a worship service. Uh, um, and, and it's commanding enthusiastic and wholehearted praise to God and, and singing. That kind of singing where you forget yourself and you're not caring how good or bad you sound. You're just adoring God for who He is. And you're delighting in Him. Brothers and sisters, um, does this description of, of worship and gratitude, is, is it familiar to you? Is it something you know from your own experience? Is it something you've tasted and, and enjoyed yourself? Have there been moments in your life where your heart is bubbling over with delight in God? Where you're just in awe of how good He's been to you? It's required. It's not just a good thing, right? This delight in God is required of us. That's the, that's the first thing we see here in this command. The second thing the psalm makes clear to us, not only should we have this joyful worship and joyful thanks to God, um, but the second thing it makes clear to us is that it should be, all our gratitude should be Godward. 
All our gratitude should be aimed at God. Sometimes you'll hear a study of some, uh, some, some, uh, some poll or some study done where someone found out that practicing gratitude increases, boosts your happiness, makes you feel better about life when you are, are, are not thinking about all the things you don't have but the things you do have. And there's certainly truth to that. That's the way God wired us. So it would make sense that study after study would show gratitude boosts your happiness. But then often gratitude is sort of prescribed as some sort of self-help thing, some sort of therapy thing to help you feel better. And it's just very self-centered and man-centered and, 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 and short-circuited. Um, gratitude is not seen in Scripture as a self-help mechanism, but as worship. It's God word. It's all directed to Him. Its focus is God. Its, its focus is on Him, on who He is and what He's done. Then we see the command to, to worship goes on in verse 4 and it emphasizes the same point for us that we are uh, to bring our gratitude and our praise right into God's courts, right before His face. Uh, this, this, this fellowship with God that we're talking about, this gratitude, is at the very heart of, of the covenant, God's promise to His people. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, is the center of our thanksgiving and our praise and our gratitude. So that, that's a little bit of how the psalm commands us to be grateful to God. Glad-hearted and Godward. That's what our gratitude should look like. But what's the reason? Why be so grateful? Why, why, why should we uh, respond to God in gratitude? That's the second point the psalm makes. It doesn't just command us to give thanks with joyful hearts. It tells us why and why, why God does deserve our thanks. First of all, it says, because he's our maker. He, he made you. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us, and we are his. He made you. Think, think, about, uh, th- think about the details of this for a minute. He made, he made your muscles, your bones, your tendons, your heart, uh, your lungs, your, all your organs, your, 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 your senses, your ability to taste and touch and see and hear and smell. He made all of it. Every single tiny detail of you, He made. You are who you are because He made you. You exist because He made you. This, this whole world does. The whole universe exists because He made it. And He sustains you. Not only did He make you, but He, he upholds you. He's watched over you every moment of your life. Aware of it or not, He has been there watching over you. Every night's sleep is a gift from Him. Every morning you wake up is a gift from Him. He's given you all of this. Every meal you've eaten was because of His grace to you. Every dollar you've earned in your work was because of His goodness to you. Every talent you have is because of His goodness to you. All of it. He made you. So everything that we are, we owe Him. And we should be full of gratitude for this. We, are, we take so much for granted, even as we were talking about earlier. Every moment of our lives has been a gift from Him, sustained because of Him, by His power and His grace. We owe Him our thanks. It's the least that we owe Him, simply because He is our Maker. Then the next reason the psalm gives, not only because He's your Maker should you give joyful thanks to Him, but also because He is your covenant Lord and you belong to Him as His people. It says, uh, verse 3, we are His people, the sheep of his pasture. As we think about this, 
uh, I want to think about this question first of all. How did you become part of God's people and one of his sheep? How did you become one of his sheep? Were you born into it? Well, no. We're, we're born children of wrath under his curse, born into sin. Um, uh, but, but now he's brought you in to be part of his people. Was it because you worked really hard to earn it? Uh, because you showed such promise as a sheep for his flock? It's foolishness, right? I mean, we are sinners. We are stubborn, rebellious, hopelessly lost runaways apart from his grace. Nothing to distinguish us from any other sinner, but he sets his love on us. He, he called you to belong to him. You didn't have anything to do with it. He set his love on you. He set his grace on you. Shouldn't you thank him for that? That, he, that he's brought you to himself. And how did he bring you how did he bring you into his sheepfold? The good shepherd laid down his life for you. Think of that. Dying to save a sheep. I have chickens. I like my chickens. I'm not going to die for my chickens. But the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's the kind of love he has for his people. They don't deserve it, but, but that's the kind of grace he shows us. That's the only way for us to become part of his people, that he comes and he lays down his life, pays the price for our sins, uh, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, gives us his righteousness, gives us eternal life, and says, now come, enjoy all these things by my grace, freely by faith. Come and be part of my people. Shouldn't we give thanks for that? What does it mean to be part of his people, one of the sheep of his pasture? It's the highest privilege there is. There's no higher privilege than to belong to the Lord. Um, you have God himself as your God, as your Father. You, you have the eternal life in his presence. You have a relationship with him, with the very creator of the universe. You have God himself giving himself to you in all his, uh, in all his glory and his beauty. Uh, the one of whom the scriptures say in his presence, there's fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, so all these things, dear brothers and sisters, should overwhelm us with thankfulness. Right? Every day we wake up, all this is true. Every day. And so we should be filled with, with thankfulness for him. The reality that he has given himself to you forever as yours and made you his forever. The third thing to give thanks to him for that we see here in this psalm, not only is he our maker, our covenant Lord, but also third, he is, he is who he is. That's what we should give thanks to him for because he is who he is. What kind of a God is he? What, what is he like? There's, there's a wonderful way that the, uh, the metrical version of this psalm, which we sang this morning, puts this final verse. It, it, it begins by saying, for why? For why should we give thanks? And it goes on, for why the Lord our God is good. His mercy is forever sure. His truth at all times firmly stood and from age to age endures. This description of God we see here in the final verse of the psalm. Uh, verse, verse 5, is, is one of the most foundational things that the Old Testament says about God. Um, it, it's, it's there in Exodus 34 when the Lord is revealing his glory to Moses. He's saying, here's who I am, Moses. Here's my glory. Here's my beauty. And then he says to him, here's my name, the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
This is at the heart of who He is. Uh, the first thing, verse, verse 5 says, it tells us God is good. He is good. He is goodness itself. There's no goodness apart from Him. No standard of goodness higher than Him that He sort of measures up to. He is good. Exhaustively good. There's no part of God that isn't good. He's not made up of parts. Goodness fills Him. That is who He is for His people. You cannot find the limit of the goodness of God. We see this so clearly in Christ. We look at what He's done for us in Christ. Isn't He good? Goes on, says His steadfast love endures forever. We love that word. Uh, that, that, the word there in the Hebrew is chesed. That, that word that means the covenant love of God, the covenant loyalty of God, the commitment of God to be gracious to His people. His love for them. We, we read that psalm earlier, 136, that, that drives that point home like a, the drumbeat of our lives. His love endures forever. Um, this is the love of God that is vast as eternity, as Isaac Watts' version of this psalm puts it. It's, uh, as John tells us, God is love. He is love through and through. No limit to His love. No beginning, no end, no, 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 no limit to what His love will accomplish for His people. We measure His love best when we look at Christ. Often we look at our circumstances and difficulties in our lives and we start trying to measure God's love by those things. Instead of measuring it by the measure of His love, which is Christ Himself, John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave you Jesus. He's brought you, a sinner, into His covenant of grace by Christ, through Christ. And out of God's love for you, He's bound you to Himself forever, brought you to Himself. Nothing can separate you from His love or take you away from His love. Are you thankful for that? Thankful that He loves you like that? That His love is limitless for you, demonstrated in Christ? And then finally, Psalm 100 says that... uh, God's faithfulness endures to all generations. Some translations say His truth endures forever. The words have the same, same idea. It's that God does not change in any of this. All this we've said is goodness, His love. It's forever sure. It, it, it firmly stands sure. He's faithful to His promises. He, he, is, he is truthful to all those promises. One of my children sometimes asks, uh, asks my wife or I when we, when we tell them something, Sometimes he'll say, are you true? Are you true? Telling him something, perhaps, that sounds too good to be true, or something like that. Um, right, the, the, the essence of his question, are you teasing me, or is this for real? Is the Lord true in these things? Is he faithful to these promises that he's made? Is he really who he says he is? Good like this? Loving like this? Is he, is he always going to be like this for me? Are you true, Lord? Is this who you are for me tomorrow? And the next day, and all through the next year, whatever it holds. It's who He's always been. It's how He's always been for you and been towards you. He's faithful. He's true. Who He is, is who He is forever for you. He's good to you. He loves you. He won't change. Are you thankful? Let's pray. Lord, we praise You. Even as you've commanded us, we confess, Lord, our hearts are so often cold and 
bubble over with discontent and ingratitude when you have flooded our lives with your grace and your mercy. Lord, change us from the inside out. Work real joy in you in our hearts. Fill us with delight in who you are and who you've been and who you promise to be for us forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.